Hello, 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 and welcome to the New York Mystery Machine. Town Hall, but for ghosts. But for all the ghosts. How are you doing? I am doing well. We've received such fun feedback from last week's episode. People have been uh, messaging and texting saying that they enjoyed that format and uh, even one of our one of our dear listeners and patrons uh, reached out saying that they have a few stories they want to share, and so yeah. we welcome continue uh, this. For, we're, that's going to be something we're going to do a lot during season three. Um, there's a lot of you listen to the show, and so if it's your first time, um, second time, third time, or apparently ninety first <laughs> time listening ah! listening to the show. Um, yeah, uh, if you've ever had some weird, it doesn't have to be ghosts, right? Yeah. It can just be a weird thing, an alien thing, a, a monster thing, a boogeyman thing, whatever the case may be. And you want to talk about it on the show, you just send us a message uh, and just a, a few formats work. Um, you can either, you know, tell us it, you know, via like an audio file and like mm-hmm. we'll, we'll, we'll intersperse it in mm-hmm. the show, which we've never done before. That's true. Be a lot of editing on my end, but it may be a fun <laughs> thing. Or just write it out. Um, we have people writing out their stories right now and, um, yeah, yeah or give a bunch of cliff notes and we'll kind of take it from there. But I, however you want to tell us a story, we would love to share it. Yeah. I was at a I was at a wedding over the weekend with a, a dear friend who uh came in from out of town for it and she was she listened to the podcast and she was saying Thank she was God. she was staying with um at an Airbnb and the person kept talking about the work and you know, they, are they really invested in it? And and pretty sure she stayed with the cult uh, without meaning to. Um, <laughs> so, you know, send us your cult stories. <laughs> send us your cult stories. Did you stumble into a cult? Did you stumble into a cult? There is a way out. There is a way out, <laughs> which we've learned. Um, so, yeah, send us those. We, we love to hear it. Um, as always, we do want to thank, we mentioned our, one of our patrons. Already want to thank all of our patrons who support us every single month. So we want to thank, as always, uh, Chrissy and Kate and Christina and Christian. A lot of a lot of a lot of cousins. A lot of cousins. Chrissy and Kate and Christina and Christian and Amory and Sam and Carla and Jordan. Wow, cousins really dominate. The- anyway, thanks guys. <laughs> thank you so much for your monthly donations to the show. They do they do help the show. They they keep us going. They keep the the lights on so to say um this year we're looking to getting some new headphones for for both of us but especially Um, especially for me because mine are literally now the foam is falling out um adam thinks that my having a headphone is gonna make me not scream into the mic joke jokes on adam because every time i've had to do it for when we've done like something over you have not yelled haven't i oh challenge accepted i was let last time we did it was when we had um Sarah we had Sarah Edmondson on, and your volume was quite wonderful that entire episode. There are other factors that contributed. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and yeah, and so we want to get some new microphones as well. These microphones are old. I remember when I bought these microphones at, I think, uh, B&H electronics and photography what it's called in manhattan the guy said these are good and cheap and they'll last you a couple of years and i've been using them for about six so <laughs> you know gotta get your money's worth i had i had a, a macbook that i made live for oh, 12 years that's real so much that when your apartment was stolen they didn't <laughs> they steal didn't that want it. <laughs> you know your macbook is old and crappy when, when it's out in the when, open. A, when someone comes into your home and steals everything and then looks at a macbook and said you know what nah. hard pass <laughs> i don't even want it for the parts you know <laughs> it was so sad <laughs> <laughs> oh gosh well anyway uh if you want to donate to the show the best way of doing that is becoming a patron each month you get some new bonus uh 
stuff. We have a new Patreon uh, exclusive coming out at the end of the month. And uh, in addition, you get a sticker. Um, some of you will have have gotten sandwiches and <laughs> and there's mugs coming. We had to find a new supplier from mugs. We spoke about that last week, but mugs are coming for purchase and for patron exclusive as well. So we have stuff and we're going to look well, while we take our little hiatus going into season three, we're going to look at our patrons and kind of our Patreon and kind of revamp a little bit to some some more stuff that you may find more appealing to kind of boost that up a little more bit. More appealing than sandwiches? No, that'll stay. Okay. <laughs> that'll stay. Um, but anything else uh, to kind of like do the whole thing you know we're we're so excited and if you want to give us some sort of donation but not every single month a good way of doing that is to go over to below the slash ny mystery machine and pick up one of our t-shirts we have five different designs on sale they're all so fun um we don't get a ton of money from it but we love we love seeing our t-shirts out in the wild so if you already bought a t-shirt and we know who you are we see who's who's bought <laughs> them um we love to see you wearing them so have your friends loved ones uh take a picture of you or take a selfie do something um and we'll say yeah thank you for all that yeah so that's that's all the ways to give us money and um yeah other ways supporting the show you know like subscribe and mm-hmm. leave us a five-star review five-star yes, reviews please. are the best we love those we have some words in there we'll read it on air yeah we haven't read them in a while so anywho that was a lot of talking well well and we're all talking usually anyway we're all talking really anywho well i guess let's get into today's episode. yeah what are we doing no you you know what we haven't done in a while a serial killer. Ooh. And so okay. I found one today. Okay. And uh, before I get into it, I must be the bearer of trigger warnings. Okay. Uh, and so this episode, I will say, this is your 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 one and only trigger warning. This episode does contain murder. It contains rape and sexual assault. Mm. It contains dismemberment, and it also contains um, child abuse, as well as uh, attempted suicide. So please, 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 if any of these things... Um, do trigger you if you're not comfortable you have our 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 full full support and not listening to this episode but it is it was hard to put together and it may be hard to listen to to as well and so lots of lots of stuff in this serial killer um episode today on the show we haven't had serial killer in a while and so i think we have one more before we end season two uh, so today, today we're talking about Richard Francis Cottingham, hmm. also known as the Torso Killer. Ooh. The story is interesting because his reign of terror began in the in the late sixties in New York, New Jersey. But the murders he committed then weren't connected to him until like decades later. Oh wow! And we're gonna kind of sort that later. So what I'm gonna do is I'm going to start his his murders with the things that led to his actual arrest okay. that makes sense and in the order of when we found out about the others give you them then okay it is a lot okay. it's a very heavy episode um so i guess the first thing to do is talk about who richard francis cunningham was mm-hmm. cunningham was born on november 25th 1946 in the mott haven neighborhood of the bronx mm. he was the eldest of four children In 1948, Cottingham's family moved to Dumont, New Jersey, and in 1956, Rivervale, New Jersey, where it was reported he became fascinated with bondage pornography. Mm. In 1964, he graduated from uh, Pascack Valley High School in Hillside, New Jersey. After his graduation, Cunningham worked for MetLife, uh, where his father was a vice president. 
He started in the mailroom at the firm's Manhattan headquarters and eventually became a mainframe computer operator upon taking computer courses. In October 1966, he became a computer operator for Blue Cross Blue Shield Association, where he worked there until his eventual arrest. Wow. And we'll get there to the arrest and all that. Now, here is a very creepy fun fact. <laughs> like, weird, weird, weird. So, while he was working at Blue Cross, Cunningham worked in an office with Rodney Akala. Alcala was a fugitive child molester, an oh. eventual serial killer in his own right, oh. who lived in New York under the alias of John Berger. No doubt, something we're going to cover in season three. Good Lord. Now, neither man has claimed to be aware of the other, nor is there any evidence that they were familiar with each other prior to their respective arrests. They just both ended up in the mailroom of... of- of Blue Cross Blue Shield. Good heavens. I mean, I guess they didn't see each other at the terrible, awful human being meetings. Right, right, right. right. They were like, oh, didn't see you there. <laughs> but it really weird. Like two That's serial really killers weird. in the same office. Bizarre. At the same exact time. Someone needs to, I don't know, exercise that space. Yeah, that's a, it's, oof, it's tough. So on May 3rd, 1970, Cunningham got married at Our Lady of Lords Church in Queens Village. Mm. He had three children, two boys and a girl with his wife, Janet. Now, Cunningham was arrested on several lesser charges throughout his killing spree. So before anyone even realized that this man was murdering people and doing a lot of terrible things that we're going to talk about, he was actually committing a bunch of other murders and no one was connecting any of the dots. Wow. Police were not aware of the murders at the time. They weren't aware that he was an active serial killer and that he was still at large in both the New York and New Jersey area. On October 3rd, 1969, Cunningham was charged and convicted of drunk driving in New York City and was fined $50. On August 21st, 1972, he was charged and convicted of shoplifting at Stern's Department Store in Paramus, New Jersey, and was sentenced to pay a $50 fine or 10 days in jail. Hmm. On September 4th, 1973, Cunningham was arrested in New York City for robbery, oral sodomy, and sexual abuse on the complaint of a prostitute and her pimp. Uh, neither complaint appeared in further neither of the complainant appeared in further proceedings, mm. and the case was then dismissed. On March 12, 1974, Cunningham was arrested in New York City for robbery and unlawful imprisonment on the complaint of another prostitute. Once again, the victim did not appear in court. Uh, and so the case was dismissed. I wonder why these women weren't appearing in court. So weird. Oh, no. No. Oh. That's not it. Okay. <laughs> but if you were oh, no, a known right. sex yeah, worker yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, go in the 70s. I really did think for a minute there that, that he also killed them. No, not yet. Um, <laughs> But anyway, they were, they, they were, they were, all those charges were dismissed. Yeah. But in any case, even if it wasn't you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. anything insane, like certainly... If you were a sex worker in the 1970s, do you know where you don't want to go? Where there are police and judges and stuff because sex work was illegal. And and, and some actions are still illegal in New York City uh, to this very day. So, in any case, Cunningham was showing plenty of signs that he should be someone who has been to be watched. And he wasn't. No one was watching him. God, the 70s were bad in New York. (laughs) You guys, if you were listening to the show for a minute, last year we spoke so, so much about how New York City in the 1970s yeah. was a shithole. Yeah. Um, everything from things breaking down, uh, New York uh, was in desperate, was in a ridiculous recession, yep. needed money, 
Um, at the time, President Ford did not want to give New York any money. The famous headline, Ford to City, Drop Dead, mm-hmm. uh, all that jazz. People were at the subway stations and the Amtrak stations giving out pamphlets of mm-hmm. how to survive in New York. Right. That's what sticks in my mind. Yeah, the how to survive. For what episode we were talking that about. That was the Son of Sam episode. Oh, the Son of Sam episode. Zero killer. Uh, go back to the Son of Sam episode. That was season one. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, people are giving out pamphlets of how to survive in New York. And also there is plenty of signs telling tourists to leave, just to leave. It's not Crazy. safe. So you should stay out. So this is all happening in the 1970s. No surprise. Um, times are really, really dangerous. Now, on December 2nd, 1979, New York City firemen responded to an alarm at a seedy hotel called the Travel Inn Motor Hotel at 515 West 42nd Street, not far from Times Square. Mm. Now, they fought their way through the smoky corridors and they got into a particular room that seemed to be the source of the fire. When they saw two women stretched out on beds, um... They began fighting smoke and the flames, and they called out to the women. Neither of them answered. Mm-hmm. Um, they believed that they perhaps were disabled by smoke inhalation. Right. So one of the firefighters, you know, charged away, ran through the smoke and fire, scooped up uh, one of the women to bring to safety. Uh, with uh, which, and by safety, you know, just a spot that was that less was not, full yeah. of smoke. Um, had planned to give her mouth-to-mouth resuscitation, like, right on the spot, just to kind of, like, wake them back up again. When he went to do it, he realized she was missing her head. Oh, my God. Imagine a smoke-filled room. You see bodies. Mm-hmm. So you're like, let me scoop those yep. up. But it's so smoke, you can't you see everything. Yeah. You're scooping oh up. God. You get to a, a decent spot. You go to lean over to and resuscitate no... someone, and there's no head. That, it, ooh. Yeah. I... Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's you don't have words. I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, and like, what was the reaction? Wouldn't you love to be? No, I wouldn't love to be a fly in the wall, but wouldn't you love to be a fly in the wall? Yeah. There, and like see or hear what that reaction was when he realized. Yeah, actually, there uh, the the firefighter who carried the woman was a 15 year vet of the of fire mm. of the FDNY and he had told uh, Peter Vronsky who wrote the book uh, Serial Killers The Method and Madness of Monsters mm. that he had quote never come across something like that and that he hoped he never would again yeah um, they soon realized that both women uh, were missing were missing their their heads and in addition they also saw that both bodies had their hands removed as well. Oh, okay. So it was both heads and all four hands. Inter- interesting. Okay. Both bodies had been doused with lighter fluid and set alight. Okay. There that we go. That was, they source, were quite literally the source of the fire. Wow. Um, the missing appendages were never found. Mm. But once x-rayed, one victim was identified as D-Day Gudarzi a 22-year-old immigrant from Kuwait who's working as a sex worker, and the other headless corpse was never identified. Okay. And we, I, they were, the other one was identified from an x-ray, I guess, because of some surgical thing or something? Yeah, okay. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I'm not really sure. Okay, yeah. Um, I don't know what they would x-ray to find out. Right. But they did somehow. Okay. 
Cool. Because uh, there was no head and there was no hands. Right. So, no so you prints. can't do prints. Right. So uh, and we're also we're going to we're going to kind of talk more about this later. We're living in the 70s, kids. Right. DNA. Fr- forensics is not, different. It's very different. It's barely existing. So as police dove into the case, the homicide detectives began to link the murders with the one that had happened months before that also turned out no suspects. As we continue in this case, we're going to find out a lot of cases that have gone on super cold. You know, mm. we we had said, I think a couple of weeks on the show, how many episodes we can do on missing people, yeah. right? There's so many people who are just straight up missing yeah. In New York alone. Right. Well, the amount of cold cases in New York are pretty outstanding. In the 1970s, cold cases were like left and right. Hmm. The policing was shoddy. Hmm. We weren't finding people. And a lot of cases were left undone. Yeah. A lot of these cases that we're going to, a lot of these, these murders that we're going to talk about today weren't ever discovered until as recent as 2022. What? And we're going to talk about it in a little bit as well. Wow, okay. Like I said earlier, these are the murders that led right. to this arrest, but, but there were a series of murders before that were just going on unsolved for a decade out. Right. Um Gosh. So here we go. There was they realized that this case seemed very similar to another case that had happened a few months ago, again yielding no suspects. There was a teenage sex worker named Helen Sykes. She had gone missing from the Times Square area in January of 1979, just about a full year uh, before. Mm-hmm. When she was eventually found, her head was hanging on by a thread. Mm. Her legs had also been hacked off and were found eventually a block away from the rest of her body. Mm. They, police said that the legs were laying side by side as if still attached to the body. So why, why bother? Why is that like, I don't know, like you go through the trouble of trying to remove the head and then you don't actually do it. That's interesting to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I don't know what the process is. I don't really yeah. know. And, and truth be told, we never really find out his process of how he dismembered all these human people, okay. you know, and how he took all these body parts off. But he did. OK. As 1979 turned to 1980. This eventually went from isolated incidents to straight-on killing spree. Mm. On May 5th, 1980, police found another sex worker named Valerie Streets dead in a room at the Quali Inn in Hasbro Heights, New Jersey. Valerie had been beaten and strangled then stuffed under the bed of the room. In addition to the savage beating, her breast had been gnawed so violently that one nipple was nearly severed. Oh my gosh. Detectives began dealing with an insane case of deja vu once again. The murder had reminded them of another unsolved murder that happened years prior. A woman named Marianne Carr, a young nurse, had been brutally murdered at the very same motel on December 16th, 1977, Mm. just about two years prior. Mm. They thought perhaps that there could have been a connection there, but had nothing else to go on. Yeah. Uh, again, DNA was not was not a thing at this time, and so no prints, no right. nothing. On May 12, 1980, a 19-year-old sex worker named Pamela Weisenfeld was found beaten up in a parking lot in Teaneck, New Jersey. According to police and medical reports, Weisenfeld's attacker bit her multiple times. After meeting Cunningham, Pamela had been drugged and brutally beaten, suffered several injuries all over her body. 
After being found, Teaneck police took her to the hospital. She survived, but was so out of it, she was unable to remember any of the details about the attacker mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. years later. Mm-hmm. Gosh. Yeah, I mean, it just, it keeps going. On May 15th, 1980, Jean Renier, who was 25 years old at the time, was discovered at the Seville Hotel on 22 East 29th Street in New York City. Investigators discovered that Rainer's attacker had cut her throat and removed both her breasts. The murderer had left the breast on the headboard of the bed. Oh my God. Rainer's body had been set on fire as well as part of the perpetrator's attempt to get rid of the evidence. The police then began to start linking this crime to others. Mm-hmm. And slowly but surely, they realized that things were happening. Mm-hmm. There are things being connected, and there's someone doing all of this. Right. And the biggest part of that all is the dismemberment. Yeah, right? right. That's how, you know, all the so often when we talk about serial killers, like the biggest thing is well, what's the pattern? What's the pattern? Right. It's the reason why the Son of Sam murders are really hard to like pegged down on one person Mm -hmm. right and again i I refer you to if you haven't listened to them uh son of sam parts one and two back in season one it was very complicated because so many of these people were very different people very different walks of life however in this case there were a few very solid similarities right such as so sex workers yeah except females the nurse yeah women yeah Yeah, women who are sex workers yep young Mm -hmm. like that's the big thing too they're all Mm -hmm. quite young um and beyond the actual people who are getting murdered, being people who are getting attacked, um, they are being dismembered. Yep. Specific parts of them are being mm-hmm. are being isolated. And in this case, the, the breasts the of gnawing uh, and the, the biting also seems yeah, to be a biting and gnawing of the breasts. Mm-hmm. In some cases, removal of the breasts. Yeah. Um, and some each one, some sort of dismemberment so right. far, either head. Hands, mm-hmm. legs, breasts, some part of them. I'm so sorry, everyone. This is a very hard, this is <laughs> as, as hard as it is for you on your morning commute right now, <laughs> going into work to listen to this. Trust it. I, it, I did this in a few sessions to write this yeah. out because it was really, really tough. Rainer's body is found mm-hmm. May 15th, 1980. A week later, May 22nd, 1980, at 9.30 a.m., police were called to room 117 at the Quality Inn in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. We've been there before, right? We've been there before. We're going to talk about that in a little little as well. That is a site of the murder of Marianne Carr. Right, okay. Police were told that there was a disturbance in the room. Someone had called about screaming as if she was being tortured, as if the girl was being tortured. They got to the room, and there they found 18-year-old Leslie Ann O'Dell, a known runaway and sex worker. O'Dell was picked up by Cottenham uh, in Manhattan on May 21st. The two had used a car to get to the Quality Inn from Manhattan. O'Dell claimed to have been tormented by Cunningham for hours before she was able to screen out for help. She had been beaten, raped, sodomized, and forced at knife point to perform oral sex on him. Mm. He had uh he had also slashed her with a knife and bit her nipples till they bled. Oh gosh. She later testified that he said, quote, You have to take it. The other girls did. You have to take it too. You're a whore and have to be punished. Odell's muffled cries of pain became so loud that the motel staff 
needed to call the police, especially after two other gruesome murders that took place years prior at, at the hotel. Yeah. So they're starting to like not want to repeat history. Yeah, yeah, yeah. More than twice. And we're going to talk about both of those murders uh-huh. at the hotel later. As Cunningham attempted to flee down the corridor of the motel, officers apprehended him. Mm-hmm. Thank Oh, wow. The okay. Lord. Yeah. He, she screamed. Right. So the, tr- the, the, the turn of events was there in the room. She was able to finally let her scream. When she screamed, people in the hotel knocked on the door. Mm-hmm. At the same time, they phoned the police immediately. Mm-hmm. Good job. Good job. Mm-hmm. You hear something. You see, you say something. Yep. yep. Um, Upon hearing the hotel people basically say, call the police, he slips out the door as the police are coming in. Okay. When she tells them that that he just left, they run down and they catch him before he leaves. Okay. He's now apprehended. That's a quick response on the part of the police. Super quick. Super quick. And they get him in custody. Okay. Good. When Cunningham was arrested, he had handcuffs, a leather gag two slave collars, a switchblade, a replica pistol, and an exorbitant amount of pills on him. Mm. When police got to his home to search it, they found... Sorry. When police got to his home to search it, they found what can only be described as a trophy room where he kept some personal items belonging to each of the victims. (sighs) I hate this. Yeah, it's a tough one, you guys. It's a tough one. Um, sorry. Gosh, that really that hit me again. Um, but he was apprehended. He was in prison. Mm-hmm. And his journey in sentencing and all that jazz was just about to begin. Um, because once he's in prison, you know, prosecutors thought that they were working with just a few murders. Mm-hmm. And over the course of the next 50 years, a few is going to become a few more, a few more, a few dozen. Oh, my God. And it's going to lead to just about triple digits. Oh, my God. I want to talk all about that when we get back from the break. Take a breather. Eat eat a sandwich. <laughs> do something. Hydrate. Hydrate. Do your th- call your call your family. Tell them you love them. Uh, we'll be back after the break. We are back and Cottingham is arrested. He's mm-hmm. in police custody. Um, and spoiler, spoiler, spoiler. There is no way he's getting out of it. So Good. Good. trust you all. Justice prevails. But honestly, it was almost next to impossible for justice to not prevail. Mm-hmm. Um, the amount of evidence they have on, the, on this guy is ridiculous. While in prison, police were building an incredibly strong case against him and had found three surviving victims. And we'll talk a little bit about them later. The attacks on these three women had taken place in 1978, a year before the first murder. Okay. Now, so these are these are um, attacks that 
did not lead into murder. Okay, and so they were unreported. It's not like they found them at the time the way that they found like the the person in the parking lot. We're not talking about the parking lot person. The parking lot person will be one of them. Okay, and there'll be two others that we're going to talk about okay. later. Yep. Yeah. So the 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 first one will be. Um, Pamela Weisenfeld. Okay, yeah. And then the other two I'm going to chat about just a little bit later as well. Now, all wasn't well in the life of Cunningham at home with his family. Mm -hmm. Um, In 1980, Cunningham's wife, Janet, filed for divorce, charging him with, quote, extreme cruelty and refusal to engage in marital sex since since late 1976. Interesting. The divorce affidavits further alleged that Cunningham was a habitual patron of gay bars and spas in Manhattan. Um, Cunningham became quite despondent while in police custody, so much that he removed his glasses, smashed a lens, and attempted to use a lens to slash his wrists Ooh. and commit suicide. Um, but he failed. It didn't. Mm-hmm. It didn't work. The it, lenses aren't really yeah that sharp and yeah he failed in in mm-hmm. slashing his wrist and um he was fine and life went on <sighs> the charges listed in cottingham's new jersey indictment just just new jersey included kidnapping attempted murder aggravation aggravated assault aggravated assault with a deadly weapon aggravated sexual assault while armed also known as rape uh, aggravated sexual assault while armed, uh, in particular, uh, while in relation to sodomy. Mm-hmm. Aggravated sexual assault while armed in relation to fellatio. Mm. Possession of a weapon, which was a switchblade knife. And possession of controlled substances. Sicarbarbital, amobarbital, and diaspam. Okay. I, I'm really Don't bad at pronouncing drugs. Medicine things, who knows. Um, but... Those are all of the charges that he was found on in New Jersey. In Jersey, and that was just the New Jersey trial. But on all of these, all the all the the charges of New Jersey amount at this point, at this point, mm-hmm. for twenty five to life. Wow. Okay. It'll be much more than that by the end of this episode. Okay. I do promise. Now, do you remember how the streets murder reminded the police of another murder that taken place in the same hotel? Yes. Um. And which was also the same motel that they found Adele in. Yes. Well, Cottingham would be charged with that murder as well. The details of that night, of that case, were that at approximately 7 a.m. on the morning of December 16, 1977, the body of X-ray technician Marianne Marzi Carr, who was 26 years old, was found between a parked van and a chain-link fence in Little Ferry, New Jersey. Carr was found wearing a white nurse's uniform. The victim's left leg was visible since the uniform's pants had been slashed. On her right leg, she discovered to have a clump of her own hair. Car's shoes were missing from the crime scene. Car was last seen December 15th, the day before, conversing with the man described as white, around 32 years old, and brown-haired in the parking lot of Ledgewood Terrace Apartments, which Cunningham and his wife had previously resided in. Hmm. Cunningham apparently kidnapped her from the apartment complex, took her to the Quality Inn in Hasbrook Heights, New Jersey. Once she was inside, he beat her, slashed her, and raped her. She had been choked and then restrained. Afterward, Cunningham dumped her in the parking lot of the Quality Inn, not far from the Ledgewood Terrace 
apartments. So this is our second medical worker, too. Mm-hmm. Okay. The tool that had been used to kill her was uh, still wrapped around her neck Gosh. while she was found, when she was found. Carr exhibited handcuff-related bruises on her wrist, ankles, as well as remnants of adhesive tape on her mouth. Her body also had numerous bite marks and cuts on it. So this is all the information that we had found out in 1977, but mm-hmm. we had no one to connect it to. Right. Again, no DNA, yeah. none of that jazz. Um, and so it wasn't until this arrest in the 80s where they were able to finally connect those two. Mm-hmm. During the early 1980s, Cunningham was convicted of five murders, which we covered already. Those five murders uh, were the car murder, the streets murder, mm-hmm. the Rainer murder. And the the, the two um, the, firemen found them. Yeah. M- yep. Murder. The the Godarzi murder and um, the Sykes murder. I don't know if he's. I don't know if the other corpse is convict is is in this of five. Oh, okay, okay. Um, because technically at this point there are six people. Mm-hmm. Um, and he seems to only be convicted at this moment of five of them. Okay. Um, so I don't know if it's maybe perhaps because of the headless corpse. Right. right There's right, no right. sense of identification. Can you charge someone with the murder of an unknown person? I'm not sure. Okay. Um, but that is where it's at as of right now. Okay. So Cunningham is convicted of five murders in two separate New Jersey trials in 1981 and 1982, and in a single New York trial in 1984 for three murders. Cunningham was apparently forensically aware in the era before analysis, Hmm. meaning he, in the 13-year period in which he is known to be committing the at least 17 murders at this point, only one fingerprint belonging to him was ever recovered from a wow. ratchet me- mechanism of handcuffs left behind on the Valerie Street murder. Wow. So, yeah, I mean, that idea of knowing that no one's going to catch you mm-hmm. if you are very careful yeah. becomes really important. Like, he leaves no DNA at all, even though DNA testing is very premature at this time yeah. anyway. He's very, you know... And just one fingerprint. That's yeah, impressive. one fingerprint in all these years. That's pretty outstanding in terms of like covering your ass. A case based on his, quote, signature pattern was built around him, combined with the testimony of four surviving victims, as well as pieces of his victim's jewelry and other items found in the possession of his arrest. So basically, again, knowing the pattern, saying, OK, mm-hmm. this is clearly all you. You did all these things. Right. Murder, dismemberment, young sex workers, yep. medical workers. This is clearly you. And then, of course, it doesn't help when you have a trophy room right. showing all the terrible things you did that has connections to all these victims. Cottingham pleads innocent and for decades insisted he was being framed. Mm-hmm. Until finally, in 2009, he admits to perpetrating the five murders. Hmm. All the charges from all those five murders drew him a sentence of 173 to 197 years in prison. Oh, okay. (laughs) Now, I just said he was convicted of five murders. Right. However, as time would pass, he would begin to confess confess to many, many more murders. Many of these cases were very cold, like I said to you earlier, Mm -hmm. right? These are cases that people did not know, did not have the connection um, for the most part, no one was dismembered. Right. So there was a hard time making these connections. Mm. But there are a lot. And here we go. In 2010, 
he pleaded guilty to the 1967 murder of Nancy Vogel. Nancy Vogel was a 29-year-old married mother of two. Hmm. She was found dead in her car, bound and naked in Ridgefield Park, New Jersey, on October 30th, 1967. She had been last seen three days earlier in Little Ferry when she left home to play bingo with her friends at local church. Instead, Vogel chose to do her shopping in a mall in Bergen County. Cottingham met Vogel at a shopping center and kidnapped her. He said he took her to a field in Montvale and strangled her there. Vogel and Cunningham were acquaintances. After Cunningham admitted to killing her in March 2010, he was convicted of her murder on August 25th, 2010, and years were added to his sentence. Then, in exchange for immunity from prosecution, hmm. he confessed to murdering, murdering three New Jersey schoolgirls. First, Jackie Leah Harp, who was 13. She vanished on July 17th in 1968 in Midland Park, New Jersey, after she failed to come home from band rehearsal on the field at Midland School Camp. She performed as a flag twirler on the all-girls drum and bugle corps band at her school. The next morning on July 18th, her body was discovered at Goffle Creek on Murrow Road. She had been beaten about the she had been beaten in the face and had been strangled with a leather strap from her her flag sling. Police believe the attack was sexually motivated despite the fact that she had not been raped and her clothes were described as uh, just being in disarray. Cottingham claimed that he attempted to persuade her to get into his car, but she resisted. He then drove his car um, in front of Harp, stopped, walked over to her. Cottingham caught up to Harp despite her attempts to flee, dragged her into a cluster of bushes, and killed her there. He did not rape her, according mm -hmm. to him and according to the reports the, from the, the medical report, yeah. Then about a year later, he had murdered Irene Blaze. Irene was 18 and was reported missing April 7th, 1969. On April 8th, she was discovered face down in four feet of water in Saddle River, in Saddle River strangled with a wire, cable, or possibly the chain from a crucifix she was wearing. <sighs> God. Mm -hmm. Cunningham admitted to strangling Blaze and confessed that he saw Blaze shopping in Hackensack, New Jersey, and convinced her to join him for a drink. Taking a bus to another location, Cunningham and Blaze spent some time together in which Cunningham offered to bring Blaze back to the bus station shortly after he strangled her to death. And finally, the third, on July, on Monday, July 13th, 1969, at approximately 8 p.m., 15-year-old Denise Falowska left her residence on Bergen Line Avenue in Cluster, New Jersey. On her way to meet friends in Westwood, Denise was last observed by family members. At 11 p.m., she was scheduled to be back home, but never arrived. At 9 p.m. that night, witnesses claim to have seen Denise heading along Old Hook Road in Emerson in the direction of Westwood. Velasca's body was found on the side of Westminster Place in Saddlebrook, New Jersey, the next day on July 14th. According to Cottingham, he was walking down the side of the road in Emerson. We pulled up next to her and offered her a ride. Hmm. So again, he offered these three... Mm -hmm. information in exchange for none for no extra right. convictions right which is really fucking dirty but yeah at the same time at least gives these families some sort of answer some sort of answers it's interesting again they're all three like all these were all cold cases no one knew what happened to these young girls yeah it makes me wonder what what prompted him to start talking Right. Like, I, you know, like it's sort of a weird thing to go from, nope, didn't do this, didn't do this, this is completely wrong to, ah, hell. Yeah. 
I'll tell you about this one. Yeah, there doesn't seem like to be especially a- because it's not like he's getting. It's not like he's he's getting. I, I don't getting, know, like any privileges not, out yeah, of this, right? He's like not getting it, time removed. For all intents and purposes, he's doing this so these families can get closure. I suppose I don't know. It's quite terrible. So let me me move from 2010 um, to a full decade later. Okay. In 2021, he pleaded guilty to the 1974 kidnapping, raping, and drowning of Lorraine Marie Kelly and Marianne Pryor. On Friday, August 9th, 1974, Lorraine Marie Kelly, who was 16, and Marianne Pryor, who was 17, left North Bergen, New Jersey, uh, with plans to go shopping at the Garden State Plaza in Paramus, New Jersey. Ricky Molinari, Kelly's boyfriend, left the two at the bus stop on Broad Street in Ridgefield, New Jersey. They intended to hitchhike from there in a wooden location close to Ridgemont Gardens um, in the complex of Montvale, New Jersey. On August 14th, both their bodies were found. Both were naked and bound to one another at the wrists and ankles while lying face down next to each other. About 36 to 40 hours passed since their deaths when they were discovered. Both were beaten and raped. The ligature marks on their necks suggested that they likely been strangled as well. Both also had cigarette burns on the flesh. Hmm. Cunningham was convicted of both of their murders on April 27th, 2021. In court, Cunningham admitted to kidnapping the girls, tying them up, raping them in a motel room. He killed them and drowning them in a bathtub. Gosh. And this one, he's not even, he's just telling for the sake of telling at this point yeah, because he's not even asking for he not is, convicting. Yeah. Okay. He is just sharing them all. On August 26th, a year later, 2022, just a, a stone throw away from right now. Um, Cunningham officially confessed to the 1970 murder of Lorraine McGraw under a non-prosecution agreement, meaning that once again, he cannot be prosecuted for this right. uh, for this yeah. murder. On March 1st, 1970, a group of hikers came across a young woman's naked body in the woods to the west of Tweed Boulevard in South Nyack, New York. The victim had marks around her neck indicating that she had been strangled. She had been deceased for nearly 48 hours, authorities eventually discovered. The FBI identified the, de- the deceased as Lorraine Montalvo McGraw, 26-year-old who lived on Long Island, who had been missing since February 27, 1970. McGraw had a lengthy history of drug and sex work offense- uh, offenses. Many of them were listed under false names. McGraw worked in a number of clubs, bars, and adult establishments, according to police. In 2022, Cunningham was arraigned from his prison hospital bed for the 1968 murder of Diane Cusick in Long Island, New York. Diane Martin Cusick was 23, a Long Island dance teacher and mother. She was found dead on February 16, 1968, in the backseat of a car, uh, 1961 Plymouth Valiant, outside Green Acres Mall in Valley Stream, New York, with adhesive tape around her mouth and neck. She had been beaten, raped, and strangled. Her hands had defense wounds. Mm. DNA from semen discovered at the crime scene was extracted, and it matched a sample retrieved from Cunningham. Oh, okay. We're in the 2020s. Yeah, but I guess someone had the forethought at the time to To store and be like, hey, just in case. Interesting. 
Near the Green Acres Mall, there was a drive-in theater that Cunningham frequently visited. Authorities believe Cunningham approached Cusick while pretending to be a mall security guard or police officer. Cunningham was convicted for her murder on December 5th, 2022. Authorities believed it to be thus far the oldest criminal case to be solved and prosecuted by direct DNA evidence. Wow. Because they did have right. the evidence on hand somehow, some way. In December. I'm so sorry, you guys. Wow. So this is like yesterday, basically. Yeah. December 2022. In we're December talking. 2022, he pleaded guilty and officially admitted killing four other women in Long Island. First, Mary Beth Hines, the 20-year-old, one-year-old's body was discovered on May 10th, 1972 near Creek and Rockville Center, New York. She had cuts in her face and neck from being strangled. Hines, who experienced grand mal seizures, had been diagnosed with epilepsy, vanished on May 5th as she boarded a bus to travel to a nearby epilepsy dance. Cunningham claimed to have thrown her body from Rockville Center Peninsula Boulevard Bridge. Next, Laverne Moyer, a 23-year-old mother of two's body, was discovered in Rockville Center Creek on July 20th, 1972. She had been killed by being strangled. Cunningham as asserted that he had thrown her body off the same peninsula boulevard bridge we had previously dumped the Heinz body. Mm-hmm. Then, Sheila Hyman, the 33-year-old who was bl- found bludgeoned and stabbed to death in her home in North Woodmere, New York, on July 20th, 1973. When her husband returned from a trip to a department store that morning, he discovered her dead in the master bedroom. None of the rooms outside the bathroom showed any evidence of struggle. None of Hyman's neighbors reported hearing anything strange at the time of her death, and the autopsy ruled out rape. Hmm. Finally, in that group, in that group, he confessed to the murder of Marita Emerita Rosado Nieves, an 18-year-old Puerto Rican who was found in dead in Wata, New York. On December 27th, 1973, she was also found strangled to death in a weeded area close to East Bath House bus stop on Ocean Parkway at Jones Beach. Mm. She was discovered by park maintenance personnel wrapped in a gray blanket and just covered in plastic bags. And finally, in March 2023. So yesterday, basically yesterday, two months ago. Retired chief of detectives for the Bergen County Prosecutor's Office, Robert Anzalotti, elicited another confession from Cunningham, the murder of Mary Ann Della Sala, who was 17 when she vanished in January of 1967 after working her shift at the ShopRite on Essex Street in Hackensack, New Jersey. Her body was found three months later on April 20th in, in the Passaic River in Hawthorne, New Jersey. She had been strangled. Police concluded that she was killed elsewhere than thrown into the river. There was no sign of sexual activity. The murder of Mary and Della Sala was on record the first of the murders that he committed. And that was in what year? That was in January of 1967. In addition, he had eventually confessed the attacks on two other women uh, who you mentioned earlier who mm-hmm. had testified. These women were not murdered. One was pregnant waitress Karen Schilt, who was 22 when she met Cottingham, who referred to himself as Joseph Schaefer on March 22nd, 1978 in a bar in Manhattan. Schultz ex- exited the 3rd Avenue Tavern and made her way back to her 94th 3rd Avenue apartment when she was picked up by Cunningham and driven down Route 80 in New Jersey after feeling nauseous. Mm. Karen took the pills Cunningham gave her and lost consciousness. When she awoke, 
She was a patient at the Hackensack Hospital. Patrolman Raymond Auger of the Little Ferry Police Department had driven her there. Near the Ledgewood Terrace Apartments in a parking lot, Auger had discovered Karen motionless. She had been sexually assaulted by Cunningham, who then abandoned her in a sewer with her breasts and genitalia exposed. So just left her in a sewer to die, but didn't die. And finally, Susan uh, Geiger, a 19-year-old sex worker who was approached by Cunningham on the night of October 10th, 1978. The incident happened in Manhattan between Broadway and 7th Avenue on West 47th. Although Susan informed Cunningham that she had reservations for the remainder of the evening, she left him her contact information at the Alpine Hotel. The following evening, Cunningham called Susan and asked her on a date at midnight. He picked Susan up in, in his maroon Thunderbird uh, after she gave her consent, Susan would later describe Cunningham, who called himself Jim, as friendly. Cunningham plied Susan with a number of drugs, uh, with a number of drug drinks uh, when they headed to Flanagan's Tavern on First Avenue. Susan was subsequently awake and covered in her own blood in room 28 at the airport motel in South Hackensack, New Jersey. Susan had been tortured by Cunningham, who injured her face, who injured her face, breasts, vagina, and rectum. In addition, he had beaten Susan multiple times with a garden hose and torn Susan gold earrings out of her ears. Susan was taken to the hospital by Captain John Ager of the South Hackensack Police Department. And those are all of the attacks and murders as of As of now. And now. he's still alive? He's still alive in prison. Cunningham tried to kill himself three times. The oh. first time I mentioned in 1980 with his smashed glasses. Then um, on June 14th, 1981, shortly after he was convicted of 15 counts of sexual assault, rape, and murder, uh, locked in a cell at the Bergen County Jail, Cunningham drank six ounces of liquid antidepressant, mm. but survived. And finally, while on trial for three more murders on July 6th, 1984, Cunningham produced a razor blade and slashed his left mm. forearm in front of the jurors. Oh, my God. How he obtained the blade is unclear, but he failed to do much damage with it. In fact, he did so little damage that the trial resumed later that afternoon. Wow. It just covered the bandage. Yeah, because yeah. it wasn't deep at all. His full sentence, as of right now is 937 years in prison. Cunningham has told authorities that he has killed between 85 to 100 women throughout his life. Oh my heavens. Uh, it's a claim that police believe is a bit inflated. Mm. Um, he has only been officially linked to murders where DNA evidence puts him at the crime scene or when he has provided details that only the killer would know. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, he is still believed to be likely one of the most prolific serial killers in U.S. history. Um, he's now an old man. Uh, according to uh, a news report in 2022, um, he made his way to what may be his last court appearance. Um, and it was a, uh, there was a woman who, su- who sat in the judgment as the, the judge in this, in this hearing, Judge Carolyn Fink said to the 76-year-old at the time, I believe he, he'll be 77 this year, she asked if he wanted to seek forgiveness from his victims' families. And if he did, now was the time. And Cunningham said no. Oh. And then she quickly said to him, quote, there are no words to describe how purely evil you are. You stand before the court now over 50 years after... You have committed your crimes, sick and infirm. But make no mistake, Mr. Cunningham, 
no one has any sympathy for you. There is no sentence that I can impose that will truly be enough. It's so interesting to me that he bothers to to talk about these then and bothers to even like occasionally ask for immunity from prosecution because one would say, oh, maybe he's had some sort of change of heart and feels bad and is yeah. giving information so families can you know, know what happened. But if he doesn't want to seek forgiveness, what what is this it's such a it's so this so bizarre to me yeah um well let's end with something really bizarre oh okay great (laughs) jennifer weiss the daughter of d-day gudarzi oh the the one that brought yep the 22 22 year old from kuwait who was murdered um dismembered in the hotel the first of the first of which i really started to set the pace for catching him so uh, her daughter, D-Day's daughter, Jennifer, is actually friends with Cottingham now. Friends? Weiss told NJ.com that, quote, everybody deserves to be forgiven. The magnitude of what he did is unfathomable. But I became friends with Richard for my mother's sake and for my quest. What's the quest, you ask? The quest is to find her mother's skull. Jennifer hopes that Cottingham will reveal the truth of where both of those heads went that day. Mm-hmm. As we know that we, it's still not found. Right. We, they was never recovered. The hands and the head were not recovered. In the same interview with NJ.com, she remembered the first time she came face to face with Cottingham, stating, quote, he was sitting there waiting in the window with a sheet of glass between us. The image of him was a little frightening, but I wasn't scared. I was more concerned about finding out about my mom. That was the driving force. Despite visiting Cottingham over 30 times in prison, Jennifer is yet to fulfill her quest. And here, Christina, is a photo of the two of them being way way too friendly. And in this photo that I'll post on social media, um, she is strangling uh, Cottingham like he did to many of his victims. Really bizarre. It's really bizarre. It's very bizarre. I was going to say, like, I understand the motivation of, like, trying to find her mother's yeah, skull they're friends yeah this is a very playful picture mm-hmm, mm-hmm. i mean i think it's noble to want to see everyone as complex humans that are more than what they've done my brain is stumped my brain is stumped by this um my brain is stumped yeah well, that wow. is the torso killer, folks. Um, you know, once again, sorry about all of that. Yeah, Adam told me today, oh, this I one's going to be rough. Her. And I was like, yeah, I, can, I, I, I kind of felt her. like, yeah, I'm sure Adam, Adam said things are rough. I, this has been bad. I mean, just today alone, we covered 24 murders or atta- and or attacks. Gosh. Well, I'm going to go home and vomit. Um, and, 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 and yeah, those, and that's what we know. That's what he's revealed. So far, good. What I get from this case again is just how many cold cases there exist in the world. Yeah, let yeah, alone yeah. New York, right? Like there are so many cold cases and so many cases from before the nineteen nineties, yeah. certainly the two thousands, that are just left cold because we don't have 
DNA testing. Mm-hmm. We don't have evidence. And there are so many people who are just walking around free yeah. after committing these murders. Um, you know, guys, you know I hate doing shows like this. Um, but I will say the same thing I said for the last couple of serial killers. I think for the Joe Rifkin murder, some of the Sam murder. Um, I always want to go through all the people because I think they deserve their name to be said. Um, so that's why I do mention every single person I found. I wanted to share their mm-hmm. story because I think it's important that history doesn't forget about mm-hmm. them. Certainly their their families are, are, are still doing all the emotional work. So on this show, we, we tend to want to give voice to those who didn't make it and those who did make it. And so um, I'm, you know, it was a tough episode. Uh, I think this is the, the the toughest one of the season, I think. I think this may be the hardest one of season yeah. two. Each season gets a harder one, and this is the one. Um, so thanks for sticking with us. Um, if you have any thoughts, um, be sure to to message us either on our socials mm-hmm. or via email. And um, we are back next week with a special episode with our friends uh, from Ain't It Scary with Sean and Carrie. We look forward to that. Don't so worry. It's going to be a lot lighter. Different. A lot lighter. Um, I've been Adam Mace. I've been Christina Marinelli. And thank you for taking a ride on the New York Mystery Machine. Tammany Hall, but for ghosts.